0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's Rico Daily. I'm Adam Clark Estes. It's finally summer time to sit back and relax to the dull, soothing hum of your air conditioner. You might have a cheap window unit or a fancy smart AC that you can connect to your phone, but do you know what kind of environmental impact your air conditioner has? It turns out that as you crank up your air inside, your AC unit could be polluting the air outside, which honestly feels pretty unfair especially since we need the cool air to escape the heat from a warming climate. So, how do we cool ourselves as the planet gets hotter all around us without making that problem worse? It's quite the paradox, and Umer Irfan, climate reporter at Vox, has been looking into it.
1: There's roughly 2 billion air conditioners in the world, according to the International Energy Agency. About half of them are in the United States and China. And, you know, we're talking about air conditioners that are used to cool spaces that people live in, but we also use things like refrigeration, things like keeping food cold, but also for industrial processes that we need really strict temperature regulations. You know, a lot of medical facilities also need very strict temperature regulations as well. So artificial cooling is not just about comfort. It's about how we run our modern economy. And of course, as the outdoor temperatures get more severe, more extreme and hotter, that demand will continue to grow. Air conditioners provide a lot of useful services, but, yeah, they do come at a cost to the environment. You know, one of the big things is, of course, that they're big energy users. Keeping a place cool during the hottest times of years demands a lot of energy. And if that energy is coming from fossil fuels or dirty energy sources, that can have a net negative impact on the environment. Then the air conditioners themselves, many of them use refrigerants that are also very potent heat-trapping gases. Hmm. And if those air conditioners are not well designed, they can leak that refrigerant gas and that can actually contribute to climate change. And that can actually be a much more powerful effect than you would get with just CO2 by itself. So there's sort of a two-pronged threat from air conditioners. But, of course, we're in an era of climate change. Average temperatures are rising. And so air conditioners are increasingly becoming even more necessary, which is why it's really hard to sort of tamp down on their downsides while making sure that they're more accessible and that they can help us deal with some of the unavoidable impacts of climate
0: change. Right. So you've described a bit of a paradox here. need air conditioners to stay cool, but they also lead to the emission of greenhouse gases, which heat up the Earth more, which means we need more air conditioners. So how bad is this paradox?
1: Since the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, you know, the planet has heated up by roughly two degrees Fahrenheit, about 1.1 degrees Celsius on average. Now, that's a small shift in the overall average temperatures, but that's pushing Heat waves and other kinds of extreme temperatures to much greater extremes. And so we're seeing heat waves now much more frequently than we would have seen in a world without climate change. You know, just last month, we saw a massive heat wave over India and Pakistan. That's a region of the world that's home to about 1.5 billion people.
0: Bev, to give you a bit of a visceral example, we no longer need hot water systems here in Delhi because the pipes are heating up so much that when you turn the cold water on, it, it's too hot to touch.
1: We saw heat waves in in Texas.
0: People in Texas are being urged to turn up their thermostats because the power grid may not be able to handle the demand.
1: And we also saw heat in places that uh, we don't typically get extreme heat. Last summer, you may recall, we saw a massive heat wave in the Pacific Northwest. We are talking an extremely dangerous heat wave. And the reason for that is the folks in the Pacific Northwest and British Columbia in Canada are not used to this type of heat. They do not have air conditioning. and this. Is a historic heat dome. This is a part of the country that's not used to 90 degree, 100 degree Fahrenheit temperatures, and yet they were starting to get afflicted. And so as the climate changes, we're pushing not just to greater extremes, but we're also introducing heat into areas where people previously have not coped with it before. And so for them, you know, that has a much greater impact and that will increase the demand and need for artificial cooling like air conditioning.
0: And as we're recording this, I believe there's another heat wave kicking off in the American West. Just how much more common are heat waves now?
1: Well, heat waves that used to occur about once every 50 years, once every half century are now about five times as frequent, and they push toward higher and higher temperatures. And so in recent years, scientists have been a little bit more forthright and open about talking about attribution of climate change-related events these days, particularly with heat waves, that's one of the places where we see the strongest signal of climate change, that as the
0: average goes up, the extremes also go up. Well, I think we can all agree that it's very annoying to be sweaty, but the other impacts of heat exposure are far more serious. Can you talk a little bit about what kinds of effects human beings are going to feel as it's getting hotter?
1: You know, we talk about air conditioning often in the context of comfort and, you know, oftentimes as a luxury, but we know that there are upper limits to how much heat humans can tolerate. But if you're less healthy, if you're older or very young, that tolerance gets much lower. And so at a much lower threshold, heat starts to have a very damaging effect. It can lead to heat stroke, organ failure directly. But even before it reaches extremes, we see damage from heat in other areas. And then other things like pollution, things like ozone, for instance. Ozone is a lung irritant and it forms more readily on hotter days and things like dust and all the other kinds of like atmospheric phenomena that trap pollution closer to the ground those all get more severe so you see this sort of like synergy effect with heat that not only does heat affect you directly but it has all these other ways of exacerbating other kinds of environmental hazards
0: so like you said a few minutes ago there are two billion air conditioners globally which is a lot but there are way more people in the world why is that gap so big
1: One of the big things is that, you know, air conditioning requires energy and not everybody has access to that kind of energy. Certainly they don't have access to the air conditioners and maybe they may not be able to afford the electricity it takes to run them. And, you know, of course, as that cooling demand increases, it also pushes greenhouse gases up if it's still drawing on dirty energy. And so the people who contributed least to climate change stand to suffer the most. Um, but we also see other kinds of dimensions on where that varies. You know, obviously it varies with income. If you ha- if you can afford air conditioning, you're more likely to have it and use it. But it also varies by geography. You know, I talked about the uh, Pacific Northwest heat wave, Seattle in the United States is one of the metro regions with the lowest penetration of air conditioning. And so this is a part of the country that just was not prepared for extreme heat because they historically haven't dealt with it, but now they have to. They're now in a world where extreme heat is a possibility. And when extreme heat occurs, it tends to be more dangerous because they have less infrastructure and less resources to cope with it. And then another dimension is, of course, racial. Uh, In New York City, for instance, about half of heat-related fatalities uh, occurred in the black residents in New York City, despite the fact that about black residents are only 22% of the population. So you see a disparate impact on racial dimensions, on income dimensions, and also in terms of geography.
0: I got to say, this is extremely depressing, Umir. Is there anything we can be hopeful about?
1: One of the biggest, most impactful things you can do is to use more efficient air conditioners that can cool more with less energy, that use less refrigerant, or maybe even no refrigerant that can cause global warming. You know, there's an international treaty right now working to phase out the use of these hydrofluorocarbons, which are commonly used as refrigerant gases. You know, They're thousands of times more powerful than CO2 in terms of trapping heat. But there are other chemicals you can use as well that don't have that same problem, but that can also deliver cooling. Then there are some other kinds of technologies you can use as well. One of the big things, of course, is to use cleaner energy to make sure that you're drawing on renewables or nuclear or anything that doesn't emit greenhouse gases as it burns, and that helps reduce the contribution to the problem that air conditioning is making. But, you know, you can also use things like potentially heat pumps. You know, there's been a lot more discussion about heat pumps in recent months in the context of, you know, heating in the winter to avoid burning natural gas. But heat pumps are basically like reversible air conditioners, and so they can also be
0: used for cooling. Okay, heat pumps. I've heard about these, and I know that they're good, but can you just explain a little bit more about how they work?
1: They have a bit of a higher upfront cost. And in the United States, there's not as much familiarity with installers and contractors in terms of working with them. But it's a technology that potentially could make a big dent because they tend to be a little bit more efficient. And because they can be used for heating and cooling, they have a little bit more versatility. And, you know, the uh, government has also started to realize that this is a huge deal. You know, the White House just this month announced that it was going to invoke the Defense Production Act to build more heat pumps to essentially use this technology as a way to help reduce our overall energy demand and to cope with you know some of the uh, heating and cooling needs that we have that are being pushed to greater extremes in this country and so the challenge now is to make sure that we have you know, other kinds of strategies as well, things like you know, better insulation, better structuring of indoor spaces, using, taking advantage of passive cooling, shade, and also you know, using our outdoor spaces effectively, things like planting trees in certain neighborhoods, use, painting rooftops white. So it requires like a more sort of integrated and cohesive strategy to help mitigate the heat that we're going to be seeing in the coming years.
0: This sounds like a, a crisis and one that is going to be getting worse. What's the government doing about it? How are different regulatory agencies helping people get access to, to cooling technology, whether that's an AC unit or a heat pump or even just more shade?
1: Well, the U.S. federal government does offer energy assistance both in winter and in summer to help offset heating and cooling bills for low-income folks. But generally, though, cooling has been kind of neglected as, as a need. You know, in a lot of jurisdictions, in a lot of parts of the country, for instance, there are rules that say that in rental properties, you can't let the temperature drop below a certain level. Like every apartment, for instance, has a minimum temperature that's required. There are very few jurisdictions that have a maximum temperature, for instance. So, like. There are there's no requirement in many apartment buildings to have cooling for air conditioning, even when temperatures get above 100 degrees Fahrenheit. There is no requirement for cooling in federal public housing. Many buildings like you know, prisons and other kinds of congregate living facilities don't have requirements for cooling. And that can get very dangerous, particularly in some of the hotter parts of the country where you have already vulnerable people congested in this environment. And so there's been this sort of neglect of cooling as an urgent public health need. The US for a very long time, for instance, has not had a national standard for workplace heat exposure. We have, you know, standards for things like chemical exposure and other kinds of hazards through the Occupational Safety and Health Administration through OSHA. And just last year, they started the rulemaking process for coming up with a national standard for heat. Now, there are a couple states that have standards for heat, but there's nothing that's across the board. And so this is one of those places where the government's kind of playing catch up. But it's really important because we see that people who work in restaurants, who work in kitchens, people who work in factories, you know, they're facing dangerous levels of extreme heat even when they're indoors and sometimes even in places that are air conditioned because the air conditioning can't keep up with all the heat that's being produced by the equipment that they're working
0: on. What about the individual level? I mean, I do not want to contribute to global warming any more than I already have. But, Umair, I have to be honest with you, I run hot. So if I don't have an air conditioner in the summer, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable. But that seems like sort of a mild complaint. What can I do better?
1: I mean, I think it's worth thinking about how you use energy. I mean, I think there is a distinction between using air conditioning for a luxury and versus using it as a necessity. There's a lot of low hanging fruit here in terms of improving our energy efficiency. So think simple things like, you know, uh, pulling down the blinds during the hottest parts of the day, making sure that the air conditioner is only running when someone's actually home. I mean, i I've walked by outdoor malls where you have in the middle of the summer, like all these stores with their doors wide open, blasting cold air into the street. And that's just like a really immensely wasteful way to use energy. And so certainly there are ways that we can do that, Certainly, especially in this uh, COVID era where everybody's working remotely. There's a lot of like offices that are still being air conditioned and cooled that are mostly empty. And so in those circumstances, there's a lot of opportunities for reducing overall energy demand. I think maybe uh, in some instances, we might want to expand our window of comfort and allow the temperatures inside our homes to come up a little bit higher than we maybe used to. And then over time, maybe we'll get acclimated to it. But at the same time, you know, we want to make sure that air conditioning is available when we start getting dangerous levels of heat, you know, when we start getting into the triple digits and when we start getting into the, the very high levels of humidity that are associated with really bad health outcomes. So we will have to be a little bit more strategic about how we use cooling to make sure it's still available at the times that we actually need it. You can help maybe perhaps lobby your local lawmakers for stricter building codes for more energy efficiency and perhaps talk to your utility. There are some utilities that are deploying things called demand response, where basically during some of the hottest times of the day, you yield the control of your thermostat to your utility. They'll turn it down. And in exchange, they'll give you a discount on your uh, power bill, for instance. And so there are ways that, you know, you can communicate with uh, your energy providers and Basically, work in a more of a cohesive fashion, and then essentially, in aggregate, you, your neighbors, all together, will help you know smooth out the power over the grid and maybe make it more reliable and make cooling more accessible for everyone.
0: Umer, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Today's episode was produced and mixed by Sophie Lalonde. I'm Adam Clark Estes. Thanks for listening.